0: Alexander, Caesar, Napoleon, Hannibal. These are just a few of the names that come to mind when we think about the greatest generals and conquerors in history. Today, we are going to talk about a man who must absolutely be included in that list. He remained undefeated in his entire career, just like Alexander. He wiped the floor with Romans, just like Hannibal. He fought against a coalition of global superpowers, just like Napoleon. And he looked damn good doing it too. This man also has the coolest subriquet in history, in my opinion. His name is Khalid ibn al-Walid, the Sword of God. Hi, hello, and welcome to another episode of the Who's That Then podcast. Thank you all so much for being here with me for this one. Today's figure is just such an amazing man with such an incredible story. And together we're going to explore it. Just a couple of things before we do that, though. Firstly, there will be a lot of Arabic words in this episode. I, dear gentle listener, do not speak Arabic. I think it is awesome and I would love to learn Arabic, but as it currently is, I don't speak it. I have looked up the pronunciations of as many words and names as I could find, And I promise I am trying my absolute best with these beautiful names. And I'm so sorry in advance for any mispronunciations. Secondly, we'll be looking at the very earliest days of Islam as well as early Islamic expansion. So that means that we'll be talking about Islamic armies fighting against Christian armies as well as those of other faiths. I will do my absolute best to present all the information as objectively as possible. I will try and focus everything I can through the lens of Khalid... And his involvement in these events. I I really do mean to keep my promise from the first introductionary episode. And with all of that said, let's get into the life of the man named by the Prophet Muhammad, Sayyaf Allah, the Sword of God. Khalid was born in 592 in Mecca. Now this is pre-Islamic Mecca, remember. And Khalid's father, who was named Al-Walid ibn al-Mukhira, was an arbitrator. Which is basically a fancy way of saying that his job was to settle disputes in the city of Mecca. Awalid is mentioned in the Meccan surahs as the derider of the Prophet Muhammad. And this is because Khalid's father belonged to the Banu Makhazum, which is a leading clan in the Quraysh. Again, I just want to stop and apologize if I'm getting any of these pronunciations wrong. I'm really trying. And... Also, there's just so much to learn about this really interesting time period, but unfortunately, it does fall outside the scope of this podcast. And so for now, the key information that you need to know is that Khalid is born and raised as part of one of the leading clans of the Quraysh. They're the people who are in charge of the city of Mecca. Their clan is actually one of the top three in the entire Quraysh. And a great many of the clans are opposed to Muhammad and the Muslims. The Makazums, which were led by Khalid's first cousin, were so opposed to the Prophet Muhammad that they went so far as to boycott his clan, the Banu Hashim, before Muhammad left Mecca for Medina. This boycott lasted a whole two years, and mind you, after Muhammad had moved to Mecca in 622, the Makazum led a six-year war against him. Unfortunately for the Makazum and the Quraysh, the war ended with Muhammad conquering Mecca, and alongside him was Khalid. I know, what a plot twist. So, how did Khalid go from fighting against Muhammad to then helping him take Mecca? Well, I'll tell you. In 624, Muhammad raised an army of somewhere between 313 to 317 men to fight a force of 1,000 men led by Amir ibn Hisham, but known as Abu Jal. He was Khalid's first cousin, remember? Now, Muhammad won the Battle of Badir, which is what this battle will be called, and some 25 of Khalid's cousins were killed in the battle. In the following year, Khalid was around 33 at the time. He was given command of the right flank of the Meccan cavalry at the Battle of Ud. Khalid didn't launch his force into a direct assault against the Muslim forces. You don't get given such an awesome title for doing something so unimaginative. Instead... He took it around a mountain and into a valley near the battle. He advanced through this valley until he saw Muslim archers to the south on Mount Rumah. By doing this, Khalid had snuck around the side of the Muslim position. When the battle began, he waited in his position, not engaging in the battle. The Muslim forces had a lot of early success and they began to push the Meccans back. Khalid still waited. He lay in wait in the valley until he saw what he was waiting for. The archers on the mountain had run down to go and loot the Meccan camp. Khalid charged his entire force into the broken rear defensive line, ensuring a rout and a Meccan victory. This was the only victory for Mecca in the entire war, and the reason they won it was Khalid. Now just a little small side note here as well. the word "route" is pronounced "route," and I know it sounds a lot like an American way of saying "root, but trust me, they are different words, and I will have no arguments here. okay? Good. in six twenty seven, or as historian Michael Lecker states, quote, "Perhaps more likely, six twenty nine Khalid converted to Islam in the presence of Muhammad. The historian Akram Diya Umari says that Khalid embraced Islam and moved to Medina, where historian Hugh Kennedy says, "...began to devote all of his considerable military talents to the support of the new Muslim state." Khalid took part in an expedition into Jordan in 629. When the army he was in came into conflict with Byzantine forces, several commanders of the Muslim army died, and then Khalid took control. He managed to withdraw the army safely back from the fighting and back into Arabia. And because of this, Muhammad gave him the eternally awesome title of Sayyaf Allah, the sword of God. It is also during this battle that Khalid broke a total of nine, yes, nine swords in the fighting. When he broke his sword, he called to his friend to throw him another sword. He kept on fighting and that sword broke too. So he called for another sword, and another sword, and another sword, because they all kept breaking, and he did this nine times. This is the warrior, the man that Khalid is. He's not going to give up. He's just going to keep going. And I think this is the image we really need to have of Khalid as we go forwards. Anyway, in December 629, or January 630, Khalid was alongside Muhammad as he took Mecca. He led one of the two major pushes into the city with a Bedouin force. Khalid had a really, really busy year in 630. He took part in several campaigns and engagements, all of which he won. He was dispatched by Muhammad to several towns and villages, inviting them into Islam. He was sent by Muhammad to put down rebellion several rebellions all of this he did very successfully he actually imposed these really heavy fines on this one town where he also got the leader to sign a letter of capitulation to muhammad Khalid got things done the prophet muhammad died in june 632 and one of his closest and earliest companions abu Bakr, became caliph and the caliph is the leader of the muslim community and this one is specifically the rashidun caliphate and Abu Bakr is the first caliph. The very next day after his ascension to caliph he launched a successful campaign into Byzantine Syria. This expedition was planned by Muhammad but because of his failing health it was delayed. Abu Bakr was the one who actually launched it and as he was doing this several Arabian rebellions really ramped up their intensity. They had started years before while Muhammad was still alive But after his death, they got far larger and far bolder. We're now coming into an area that has very, very current and modern ramifications. And it doesn't have necessarily too much to do with Khalid specifically. And so I won't get into too much detail about it. What I will say is that the Arabian Peninsula went through a period of instability, which is called the Rida Wars. And Khalid was a very, very strong supporter and ally and believer in Abu Bakr. He supported Abu Bakr by fighting many false prophets. He fought in a great deal of battles and he won them all over this period. These events are really well worth looking into if you're interested in Arabian history or early Islamic history. These are the Reader Wars, R-I-D-D-A. Super interesting time period but as for Ah uh, khalid the Reader Wars provided really great experience which served him incredibly well. In the campaigns that were to come speaking of which in 633 Khalid amassed a force of a thousand men on the border of iraq he marched this force up the western bank of the euphrates river and it's a map that we can actually trace really well today i have a map that i've uploaded onto the instagram if you are interested in looking at it it is there for you to see There will be other maps and things, just to let you know. For future people on the Instagram, that will be its purpose, as well as a place to contact. Anyway, regardless, back to the story. Khalid's invasion followed the river northwest, and eventually led to the capture of Al-Hira. Al-Hira's capture is important, because after the Arab nobility that were there, in charge of the city, surrendered to Khalid, he imposed an annual tribute of 60,000 to 90,000 dirhams, to be paid to Abu Bakr, the Caliph of the Rashidun Caliphate, remember. This is the first tribute payment paid to the Caliphate from Iraq, and Khalid is the one who got it done. This whole campaign, however, has been subjected to scepticism and general poo-pooing from modern historians who seem to doubt that if Abu Bakr had really been all that interested in Iraq at the time. His focus had been Syria, just as Muhammad's had been, and it might even be the case that Kelly didn't have permission to launch this invasion. A part of me really likes to believe that this is true. But there is also a suggestion from non-Arabic sources to suggest that Kelly didn't even play a role in the attacks in Iraq. And that he was in Syria. This is a hot debate at the moment. I say a hot debate. It's a hot debate with the kinds of people who debate this sort of thing. Which, granted, isn't very many but I do promise that someone somewhere is arguing about this, maybe even right now. We are in a period of a great deal of speculation, and many of the events in this period are a little jumbled up in a chronological sense. But what most sources agree on is that in April 634, Khalid was sent to Syria by Abu Bakr from somewhere. Either A, Arabia directly, B, via rebel tribes, which he put down along the way, see an engagement in Iraq along the Euphrates. The only thing that people can seem to agree on is that Khalid did go to Byzantine-controlled Syria. He may have fought some people along the way, or, or maybe he didn't. Unless he did, then he did. Isn't this a fun game? I am going to go on the assumption that Khalid went from Iraq to Syria. This particular march is called the Desert March, because Khalid and his faults of somewhere between 500 and 800 men had to march through the Syrian desert for six days and five nights. And here, more than anywhere else, you can really see how amazing the minds of these men really were. Khalid knew that he couldn't carry enough water for all of his men, horses, and camels. So what he did is he had about 20 of his camels drink as much water as they absolutely could before they would... You know, just right about to burst. And then he had their mouths lashed and tied together. So they couldn't eat anything. Thereby, the water wouldn't be spoiled. And then he set off. When they ran out of water, he butchered several of the camels, took the water from them, and in this way, he crossed a completely waterless desert with an army. It is really amazing when you think about it. I mean, who who thinks of that? But, even this event is subject to modern poo-pooing saying that the actual route was far shorter and had several water sources if he did even go from iraq to syria i'll let you be the judge of what you choose to believe but this is the story i go with and this is the story that has lived on in legend and history ever since when Khalid did arrive in syria The Arabian forces had already fought a few skirmishes with the Byzantine forces in the area, and then Khalid was made the supreme commander of the Arabian forces. This is the spring of 634. Khalid and other Islamic conquerors put the city of Bosra to siege, which surrendered in May 634, and it was the first major Syrian city to fall to Khalid. It certainly would not be the last. Khalid and his forces marched to Palestine To join with another Islamic commander. Who had already gone off ahead. It was here that they fought their first major battle of the war. The battle of. Now this is going to be hard to say. Ajnadyan. Ajnadyan. I think I nailed that. Which Khalid won decisively. They won another major battle. But it is unclear who was in command. Of that battle. The battle of Fahl is what we call it. Because that's what it's called. The Muslim forces laid siege to Damascus there were five Muslim commanders and so they were each given one of the gates to siege Khalid had the eastern gate and in one account his forces scaled it and forced their way into the city while the commander besieging the western gate entered the city with diplomacy and a bit of treachery from a man on the inside the two forces then meet in the middle of the city where it surrenders Another version has the events the other way around, with Khalid entering peacefully and the western half of the city being forcefully attacked. Regardless of how it happened, Damascus fell to the forces of the sword of God. After the fall of Damascus, Abu Bakr died, and this was directly bad for Khalid because the new caliph, Umar, demoted him. The Islamic forces continued to attack Byzantine Syria and Palestine, taking... Emesa in 636. In the same year, the Byzantine Emperor and the Persian Shah joined in an alliance. These were the two biggest superpowers of the day. There are no other empires even remotely like them, and they've spent their entire histories fighting against each other. I mean, dating back to the age of the Roman Republic, before the Sasanians even took over in Persia. This is how old this rivalry is. And this is how much they feared this islamic arabian threat from the south that they joined together by doing this they had given the byzantines control of five different armies the plan was to launch simultaneous attacks on muslim occupied territories however the persians missed their due date and they just didn't attack regardless the byzantines decided to go anyway given that they had far more troops than the muslims Khalid was no longer in charge of the army, but the man who was respected and admired Khalid, and so he agreed with Khalid's plan to leave Emesa and Damascus and head south to the Yarmouk River. They made camp to the south of it, and they sat there opposite the Byzantines for three whole months. They just sat there and they waited for the other one to attack. They tried to negotiate peace terms, but those broke down, and when they did on the 15th of August they finally got around to this whole you know battle thing the numbers for this battle are so wildly different depending on where you look at and the sources that you read uh, so i'm going to go with the ones that sound right and that i've heard the most of from the most amount of places and that's to suggest that the byzantines had somewhere between 35 and 40,000 men and the muslims having somewhere between 20 and 25,000 men being reinforced from arabia Khalid was given control of the army in the battle despite the fact he wasn't in control of the army in general and i I cannot say i disagree with this decision the battle took several days to fight which isn't uncommon and here's a quick rundown of each of the days on day one the armies lined up looked at each other for a bit and said my dad can beat up your dad and then several of the officers had a fight it said by muslim sources that most of the fights were won by the muslim forces Again, this is something we can't really verify from this distance in history. So just imagine these one-on-one private duels going on between the Byzantines and the Arabians. On day two, the Byzantines attack in the early morning while the Muslims were just finishing up their morning prayers. This attack pushed the Muslim right wing right into their camp. And it said that the people of the camp, you know, the wives and the servants and everybody who just kind of stays with the army as it travels, actually had to jump into the battle to push the Byzantine forces back. And that they actually did. And while this was happening, the left wing were being pushed back as well by the Byzantines. But Khalid personally charged his cavalry in and pushed the Byzantines back. The whole Muslim army then moved towards the Byzantines together and the Byzantines had to retreat in order to protect their centre. Day 3 The Byzantines were pushed right back, very similar to how it was on Day 2. This time Khalid managed to push them back again, but these tactics of getting beaten up didn't seem to be working and so Khalid decided it was time to do the beating up instead. On Day 4 The Byzantines launched a full assault which pushed the Muslim forces right back to the camp, This is where Khalid and his experience and his genius came in really good. Because what he did is he pushed back against the Byzantine forces harder on his left side than he did on his right side. So what this did is it caused the Byzantine army to be split in two, staggered like they're on stairs. Khalid then sent his middle to wheel around and attack the right side of the Byzantine line. They nearly encircled the entire Byzantine line, and so the Byzantines had to retreat, suffering heavy, heavy casualties. On day five, the Byzantines sent a request to end the fighting. Khalid said no, because he was really sure that he was going to win, and they four really did kind of prove that he can do that. And so he instead sent a small cavalry force around the back of the Byzantine line to secure the only bridge across the river. This way, the Byzantines were stuck between the river the cavalry, and the Islamic forces. There was no escape for the Byzantines. Day six. This is the final day of the Battle of Yarmouk. The Muslim forces attack full on and outright. Their forces surge forward, and the right wing swings around, and it hits the Byzantines from the side. The right wing pushes in, the left wing of the Byzantines collapses, and then the whole army squishes all the Byzantines who are left. Some of them try and run away, and they're run down by the Cavalry and Reserve. This is the Battle of Yarmouk, and it is Khalid's greatest battle. This is his moment to shine. This is the thing that people look back on, and they go, wow, this man really knew his stuff. And I think it's important now to leave our podcast this high point in his life i'll tell you how his life ends but this is how i want you to imagine khalid this incredible military general sat atop top his horse sword in one hand lance in the other riding through byzantine lines rallying his men that's the image of khalid that we have and so real quick to just sum up the end of his story and the rest of his career khalid and the islamic forces retook Damascus and Emesa, which they renamed to Homs, and then they raided into what is modern-day Turkey in Anatolia. He was also part of a force that took Jerusalem in 637 or 638. He then got into a little bit of trouble for sharing out all of these war goods that he had captured, though it, it is also true that the Caliph didn't like or trust Khalid, so that might have been the main reason. Khalid was relieved of his service and recalled to Mecca by Umar, who is the new caliph, in 638. Khalid had given a series of speeches to his troops saying goodbye and thanking them for all their service and believing in him, which I think really fits with the character of this man. And then he did answer the summons by his caliph. The most interesting part of this whole episode, to me, is what the caliph said to the forces, the Islamic forces in Iraq and Syria. He said that the trusted in Khalid more so than they trusted in God and that's why they had to let him go you know given the opportunity to explore other aspects of his life insert your own favorite phrase for getting fired here but the army didn't revolt it didn't rise up in rebellion and this could be a testament to a whole bunch of different things maybe they accepted that Khalid wanted needed to be called back they knew that umar and khalid didn't get along and there was a lot of animosity for remember the makhuzums which khalid is a part of from way back when they led that war against muhammad so it is a really interesting period and it's something i so recommend looking into but now just to end the story of khalid really quickly Khalid died in either Homs or Medina in 642. And where it is said that he was ashamed to die in his bed like a camel rather than on the battlefield. He pointed out all of the scars on his body. And it's said that this man was literally covered in battle scars, head to toe. Every part of his body had scars on it. And then he, he passed away in his in his home, in his bed, surrounded by his family. For some reason, that didn't make him happy, but... That's the kind of man that Khalid was. And that, dear gentle listener, is Khalid ibn al-Walid. Sayyaf Allah, the drawn sword of God. What do you think of him now that you've heard his story? Do Do you think he deserves his awesome title or should it be given to somebody else? Is there someone else more deserving of that title? Please do let me know the answer to these questions uh, also any thoughts that you have any ideas on the podcast yes I, pr- I know i promised music and that is still coming that is still on the way trust me pinky promise we're working towards that now i just really wanted to get out this episode i'm gonna very much try to get them out every sunday sunday or monday is really my aim i'm gonna try really hard to stick to that i promise There might be some cases where it gets uploaded a little bit later. I'm really sorry. We're working this out together, you and I. And do look at the Instagram if you want to see those maps. Do have a look at the Instagram if you want to get in touch. We have the email. And remember, it's the Who's That Then podcast. All one word. At gmail.com for the email or just put that into your Instagram search. You will find us. Get into contact if you have anything you'd like to say, any thoughts, any ideas. I'd love to hear it. And so until I see you again, have a really great week and I can't wait to see you. Bye-bye.